0: Amen. Please be seated. As you're doing so, I do invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 27, for our passage this morning. As you are doing so, it's been an extra week since we have been in this. I want to take us back really briefly to where we've come from. And also, I want to clarify something uh, that I'd stated uh, the last two sermons. Uh, Of course, Genesis 26. We were dealing with um, Isaac and his interactions with the men of Gerar and the challenges he faced there, the ridicule from Abimelech, uh, the ridicule from the shepherds, and God's provision for him despite those circumstances. And one thing I'd stated in the last two sermons was how interesting it was that the Abimelech that broke covenant... Um, with God by making a covenant with Abraham and then mistreating his son, how awful that was. And that was uh, more remarkable because in the end of 26, he renews that covenant and that agreement. The problem with that uh, is that that's not the same Abimelech. Um, Scholars, while there is some disagreement, uh, more likely than not, this is Abimelech the son of Of Abimelech the father, which is actually more of a title than a name. And so the man that argued or disagreed with Abraham is not the man who argued or disagreed with his son. But that does actually bring up the point of the lesson in that the promise, the covenant between Abraham and Abimelech was that their families would dwell and live and interact in peace. And that's not what happens. One generation later, We see Isaac mistreated. We see Abimelech, the son, not adhering to the words of Abimelech, the father. And the reason I bring that up is twofold. Uh, First, to thank you, those of you that brought that to my attention, um, because we are all fallible and myself chief amongst you, and so don't ever feel discouraged if you see something and go, "Ah, Aaron, I don't know about that. In fact, I feel better knowing that you are watching your Bibles and are studying it alongside us and are seeking to understand the scriptures. But the second reason I bring that forth is this idea of dissension, of rivalry, of not interacting with um, God and God's people and God's word well, is a theme that will continue on to our passage today. Sadly, this time, we're not dealing with those outside of the house, but inside the very household. The people of God we're going to see interact together today in a... um, Not holy way. Uh, We're going to read of six interactions, and we're just going to get through half of it this morning. But I do invite you to follow along with me uh, for uh, the Word of God for us this day. Genesis twenty-seven. I'll begin in the first verse and read through twenty-nine. This is the Word of the Lord. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim, so that he could not see, he called Esau his older son and said to him, "My son." And he answered. Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt and hunt game for me. And prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speaking to your brother Esau, Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food, that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two young goats, so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will fill me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Obey only my voice, and go, bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth parts of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. So he went into his father um, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near me that I might fill you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him, and said, The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him, because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, "'Bring it near to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you.' So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, "'Come near and kiss me, my son.' So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, "'See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you, give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine.' Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Will you please bow with me as we go before him in this time? Almighty God, we come before you with humble hearts this morning. We need your truth, we need your word. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives to give us understanding and to give us wisdom and guidance. Father, we are all tempted to seek our own means, to seek our own ends, to do so in a way that lifts ourselves up at the cost of others. But Father, may this passage warn us. May it weigh upon our hearts, Lord. May it convict us to place your ways and your truths and your plans above our own. And may we seek You first and foremost, and not the schemes and plans and thoughts of our wicked hearts. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear this day, that we might receive Your Word with gladness. I pray all of these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. When we come across a, a scene in Scripture that displays faith, and that has happened several times, hasn't it? When we talked about Abraham, we talked about the man of Faithfulness. When we've looked at the descendants, when we were in the early chapters, we saw what great faith Noah had. We saw what great faith other members of the house of God had. When we see those scenes, those moments, we point to them and we don't say, we don't say, be like them. That's never been the case. There's only one person in Scripture we're called to be like, and that's be like Christ. But what we do say, or what we ought to say, is look at them and worship God like they worship. And so when we look at Abraham, we're not told to be like Abraham. We're told to love God, the God that Abraham loves. And in so doing, we will be faithful like he was faithful. And there are many passages, there are many sections of Scripture that do that for us. They, they show us a model And again, it's not to show us to be like them. Don't dare to be David. Dare to love the God that David loved and be faithful as he was faithful. Our passage this morning is not that, though. Our passage this morning is not a passage that I can point to and say, be like this. Far from it. Sometimes we are given encouragements and models. Sometimes we're given warnings. And this here is a warning. This here is a scene, is a, is a moment, is a series of interactions which tell us, do not act like this. Do not act like Isaac. Do not act like Rebecca. Do not act like Jacob. Rather, trust the God that they trust. The, the conclusion is the same. Trust in God, not in your own devices, your own wisdom, your own guidance, your own abilities. And so if if you really could take one point away from our passage this morning, it is God is sovereign and His ways are good. And we see that in opposition to what is taking place in the text. Because of that, we're going to see three warnings this morning, three actions of man's sinful heart, three ways in which man strives to go against God. I want us to see how man desires to contradict God's will. I want us to see how man desires to fall into the temptations of the garden. And I want us to see how man rebels against God's authority. Again, these are warnings from our passage. But ultimately, and we will conclude, and again, if you take one point away, it is that God is sovereign. And His sovereignty is absolute, despite our plannings and schemes. And so would you read through this warning with me this morning, beginning with mankind's ability and desire to contradict the will of God. And our passage opens up, Isaac is old. He is getting old in years. He is near death. He, He tells Esau, I do not know the day of my death, but we assume it is soon. He has lost things at this stage in life. Chiefly, his eyesight is gone. And this is a common thing. At the the end of life, the the fathers would bless the next generation. Um, In our modern time, we tend to do a will after someone has passed. And in these times, it was common to do so beforehand, to pass on to the next generation, to give your clear instructions to those who would take your legacy and move forward. And commonly, this was done to the oldest son. All of the sons, all of the children would receive various blessings, but the chief blessing belonged to the oldest. To them would be the responsibility of carrying on the family name, the family legacy. And in this case, what Isaac is attempting to do, the family blessing, which came from God himself. So on the one hand, there's nothing wrong with this scene. Everything that's going on here should happen with the exception that God has explicitly told them how this should play out. And what you see is not what God said. If you go back to Genesis chapter 25, uh, verse 23, at the birth of the two sons, we've got Rebecca praying unto the Lord, and the Lord grants her the ability to conceive. And she asked, why is there struggle? Why is there strife? Why is there contention in my womb? And the Lord says to her, 25 verse 23, two nations are in your womb, two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and this is important, the older shall serve the younger. The word of the Lord had spoken very clearly to Rebecca, and we assume that she relayed this to her husband, that the younger son would be the greater son, that the younger son would be the one to rule over his siblings, and that he would receive the chief blessing. If that was not enough, if you continue on in that section, if you jump down to verse 31, to the selling of his birthright, Esau sells his birthright. Esau comes in, he's hungry, he's been in the woods, he's been hunting. Um, Jacob is, is preparing some food. Esau says to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Jacob said, well, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die, what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear it to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. He ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised The birthright. So twice in this chapter, in chapter 25, we have the word of the Lord declaring that Esau would serve his brother. And then we have Esau himself selling the right to this blessing to his brother. So what is the big problem going on in in our passage this morning in chapter 27 in the first four verses? Who is Isaac trying to bless? Esau. And he's going to great lengths, isn't he? Repeatedly, again and again, he calls Esau. He says, I am dying. He says, go and fetch me some game. Go prepare the food so that I may bless you before I die. Esau is the one that Isaac wants to be the inheritor. Isaac wants Esau, for he loves Esau, to be the one to receive this blessing from God and this passing on to the family legacy and the inheritance. The problem is, is that's not what God said. The problem is, that's not what God said. He, uh, Isaac is trying to go against the word of the Lord. Isaac's in a season at the end of his life where he should be resting in the blessings of his God and his Savior. He's in a, a season where he should rejoice in the fact that he has sons. He, he has sons to carry on his legacy. He should be praising God and ending his days in gladness, but yet here we see him pushing against the will of God, trying to assert his own authority, his own power, his own decision-making And we can only imagine the amount of tension and strife and worry and anxiety that that causes him. Let this serve as a warning for us this morning, dear Christians. Isaac is seeking carnal blessings. These are fleeting. They do not last. This passage warns us to not pursue certain ends above the Lord. And you might think to yourself that you would never do such a thing. What, what an important moment in, in the life of, the, of these people to toss away, to, to really blatantly disregard God. But let me ask you this, as I've asked myself this week, don't we do this all the time? Don't we disregard the Word and the will of God for temporary blessing, for temporary gain, for our own desires selfishly? And sadly, just like Esau, Isaac here is trying to sell it away for some food. For some of us, that's all it takes, isn't it? A little bit of food. Some of us, it's money. For some of us, it's status. Or for others, it's possessions. Whatever it may be, we have those pressure points in our lives. When pushed, and it doesn't take much pushing, we will go, I want this I need that. That is greater than taking the time, the effort, the energy, and trusting God and resting in His promises. And So be very careful, dear Christian, as you read this passage, that you not look at it and go, how could he do such a foolish thing? Rather, may you say in your heart, oh, me too. Help me, Lord, help me. But it gets worse before it gets better, for Isaac's not the only one engaged in sin here. look at our second section here and see that man not only will seek to overthrow the will of God, but they also will fall into the temptation of the garden. And everything said here of Isaac's failure is true. And because it is true, when we shift scenes, when we go to verse 5 and shift to Rebecca and Jacob, we have to think the same things. Rebecca knew the Lord's will. We know she knows it because God told her directly. She knew that Jacob was to be the one to be blessed. She knew that the younger would serve the older. Jacob, the other one in this scene, knew that Esau had sold his birthright to become fed. So you've got both of these two know the right thing, the right response, the right action. The right action would be for Jacob to be blessed. So if that is the case, should we fault them here? Are they at fault for wanting to make sure that Jacob received the blessing instead of Esau? Absolutely. Absolutely we should, because how do they go about it? Do they bring up the word of the Lord? Do they demand an audience before Isaac? and bring to him what God has spoken and reveal his truth? Do they show him the fault of his decisions and his decision-making? Or do they try to overthrow his decision? So we must ask ourselves, if you have a word from the Lord telling you how to act in a certain decision, shouldn't you go make that decision with confidence? Rebecca was listening listening in to the conversation between Isaac and Esau. Rebecca wanted to see Jacob blessed. So how should she have responded? She should have gone to her husband. She should have shown him the folly of his ways, the sin in his decision. Instead, much like her ancestral mother Eve, she grabs the reins. She takes the driver's seat and says, I will put this in my hands. And if there's a curse in this, it will be upon me. See, she overthrows the authority of her husband. What she's getting at is actually right, but the way she does it is sinful. It's through deceit and deception. We read how it goes down. Rebecca tells her son, go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. A scheme is, is, is created, a, 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 a plan is hatched. Rebecca likely taught Esau how to cook, so she knows, she knows the meal that Isaac is requesting. Go and I will make the meal. And Jacob, but I don't look like my brother. I'll cover that but isn't, isn't, is this okay? Let the curse be upon me. Let me be clear. God does not call us to accomplish His ends by wicked means. This would be a, a similar situation to us declaring here that we're going to have a capital campaign, that we feel convicted that the Lord has called us to grow our church by building a new sanctuary. And one day I hope to hear that that is taking place, if that be His will. And, and you, listening to that, become convicted that that is the will of the Lord. And you want and are encouraged by that desire. And you say to yourself, I want to see this done for the glory of God. There's just one problem. The budget's tight in your house. You, you want this to happen, but you know the funds have to arrive or the work cannot be done. And you find yourself at a crossroads roads, and you say to yourself, Self, I can pray I can pray that the Lord increase my funds. I pray that the Lord could give me opportunity. I could pray that His will be done and that His means come in through strange and mysterious ways. But then again, you get a better idea. Now, wait a minute. There's a bank down the road on 291. There's money there. I'm sure the people that have that money don't really need it. and there's a chance they'd even use it for wicked or terrible means. And so you, you doff your, 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 or don your Robin Hood costume and you say, Aha, I've read that narrative or that novel. I know what to do. And you go and you rob the bank. And then you come in that next Sunday joyfully and you have a check sitting in the offering plate. And you're so excited to put it in. And you see the church erected. It wasn't wrong to want a desire to long for, to seek to build the Lord's church but the way in which you did it was sin. We cannot sin to accomplish good means. It is still sin. And by the way, the Lord doesn't need it. The Lord doesn't need us to sin in order to accomplish His divine plan. His divine plan will be done. It will be accomplished, as we'll get to in just a moment. He does not need us. It's a mercy that He allows us to be a part of it. Elsewhere in Scripture, God says, don't worry if you cannot bring worshipers to me, I'll tell the rocks to sing and they'll cry out. It is His mercy and blessing that we get to participate. We don't need to dress up in a costume. We, we don't need to lie. God's authority, God's will is placed over us and we are called to submit to it. Rebecca is in sin here for not submitting to her husband, not calling him out for his sin and love. Jacob is in sin here for not calling his parents out for their sin and their deceit. No, this is not the way to act in order to accomplish God's will. And it continues. We see it in our third section here that, that in he's at a moment. Jacob could have refused. He could have disagreed. He could have um, said, no, I will not take part in this. You are my parents, but you're wrong. And yet he yields to the temptation. Let's see here how man often schemes against God's established authority. What might have been a moment for Jacob to show his love of God and commitment to God's way now becomes he's an accomplice. He joins in the deceit. He brings the food that he did not prepare. He dresses up in the clothing of his brother, He sticks upon himself, this costume, and then he lies. He flat out lies to his father again and again and again. And let me pause right here. Um, I want you to picture this scene. Listen to the the description. Isn't this like a child playing dress-up? Can't you picture in this uh, around Halloween when kids are getting costumes? And then there's, there's those some kids that, that will go and spend hundreds upon hundreds of dollars to get um, a movie-accurate depiction of certain characters or figures, and you're like, that is cool. And then there's the kids that went to the thrift store or um, even better, and, and I encourage this, I love this, uh, the kids that say, I can DIY it myself. Um, I just need some duct tape, some construction paper, some glue sticks, and I can make that character. And then you see them and you're like, oh, bless you, Um, you tried. Doesn't that sound like this here? Doesn't it sound like you would look at Jacob and go, oh, you tried. You're doing a good caricature of your brother. This is kind of cute, right? But what allows you to make that decision What would allow you to look at Jacob and go, "Mm, good luck, you tried? Eyes to see, right? Discerning eyes. And how does this narrative begin? Isaac is getting old in years. His eyesight has failed him. This This is a powerful point in our text. Our bodies, our senses, our faculties are failing. Sin has cursed us. And as we grow older, these things start, start failing to the point that we can be deceived by simple deception, by simple lies, by simple falsehoods, by things that clearly at a different stage in life we could look at and go, there's no way. But that's how sin works. That's how sin gets us. It takes that which should be clear to us and obscures it to the point that we are tricked. Isaac is fooled over and over here. His taste buds taste the soup. it was not or the stew. It was not prepared by Esau, but he is deceived. He touches the sun, and all he's really touching is a, is a cloak of, of animal skin. I mean, this man had to add some hair. Like you just go home and, and have your kids, or, or you as an adult, draw this out. like draw this scene out. Get a piece of paper and color it out. I mean it is bizarre to look at and that fooled him the voice man Isaac he is he is so wrapped up in this desire to assert his will over God he says that does not sound like my son but the food sure is good and the touch sure is close and I really like this stew therefore let me bless him anyway he gets it right He's like, that's not my son. That doesn't sound like him at all. We don't even know anything about his hearing going wrong. He's just here being convinced or convincing himself of his own foolish ways. It says, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother. So he blessed him. Isaac was so committed to sin by blessing the wrong son that he overlooks Clear examples of falsehood. And this is what a lack of trust in God does. It makes a person willing to do something they know to be wrong but want to be right. Spiritually speaking, it makes us blind to the truth, even if it's right before our eyes. And again, Isaac is dealing with physical eyesight, but it also speaks spiritually here. And I, just, I warn you once again, dear Christian may you look at this passage soberly because how often are we much like the child playing peekaboo or hide-and-seek that when they hide they close their eyes and they're convinced I can't see you therefore you can't see me and as the parent or the adult you find yourself looking at them going well you're right there no I'm not you can't see me that's what it looks like for us when we spiritually go I'm going to get away with this. I'm going to do this, God, and you're not going to catch me. You're not going to stop me because here we are and you can't see me. God sees you. But there is beauty in this passage. It is, it's such a sober passage and we're only half, going to get halfway through it today and it, it gets worse before the end. But here's the beauty of this passage. All of that what we just said and examined was true and yet God's will is still done in the end. God's will is done despite Isaac's unwillingness to see, despite Rebekah's assuming authority, despite Jacob's um, taking part in sin, despite Esau. Esau knows he doesn't deserve the blessing, but when his father says, go hunt that I may bless you, he's like, ooh, I can go get a blessing out of this. And he goes. There are no heroes here. There is no one but one that we should look to and seek to praise to live like and that is god god's sovereignty is absolute and we see that here in the end god's plan from the beginning was that jacob would be blessed god's plan was that the younger would rule over the older we read it in chapter 25 And so we read here what took place. Isaac smelled the smell of his garment and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. May your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you. And blessed be everyone who blesses you. Now really quickly, um, this carried authority. This was not just someone praying for the sake of his son. This was not just someone going, I hope, or may it be so. As the spiritual head of the household, um, Isaac had the authority to pass on his blessing to his son. And so he is praying God's will over this son in this moment. And one commentator, I love what they say about it, God's plan is fulfilled in spite of Isaac. It is fulfilled in spite of Rebecca. It is fulfilled in spite of Jacob. Christians, we ought to make study of the undeserved blessing of the covenant of grace that is displayed here in this passage. You see it from two sides. Everyone tried to do the wrong thing and God's will was done. And, reverse that, Jacob has done nothing to deserve this. He has done nothing. He is not honorable. He is not one we should go and like, be like Jacob. That would be great. And yet he is the one to be blessed. And he's the one that God's blessing would continue forth through. What a picture for all of us today. For again, if we look at this passage soberly, how many of us deserve God's blessing? How many of us could put ourselves in this passage or, or even just look at our own lives and go, God, do I really deserve anything you've given me? Or if it was written in the, in the annals of Scripture, would I be one of these examples? If, how many of us would dare say, hey God, if you write another one, put me in it. Put my narrative in it. I'd love for it to be an example for people for future generations. I'm certainly not going to be quick to get in that line. Except to say, God often works despite our weakness, our failures, our shortcomings. Our shortcomings. Praise God that this is recorded for us. Jacob certainly didn't deserve it and neither do we. However, God is merciful toward His people. He shows kindness and love even when we do not deserve it. This will be fully realized just a little while later in Scripture, just a few few thousand years, in the sending of His Son, Jesus Christ, to serve as the perfect sacrifice on our behalf. Out of all the passages we have studied thus far in Genesis, may we see ourselves in this one. Maybe you see yourself this morning as the defiant Isaac who's determined to have it your way. May you see yourself as the underhanded Rebecca who goes against God and assumes the authority of her husband. May you see your, maybe you see yourself today as Esau who, despite knowing he does not deserve the blessing and has sold it away, you want it anyway for you will gain something from it or maybe you see yourself in selfish Jacob the one who is convinced to sin in order to be blessed now i did not say we should be like these people rather i say we should see ourselves in these people because none of them are upstanding but even so god's will is accomplished there is only one hero in this text and that is god god is the one the only one in this passage that is true to his word that can be trusted, that lives and acts consistently with His character. He is the one whom we all ought to seek first. And when we do that, we live lives that are not full of deception, lies, scandal, and strife, anxiety, worry, fear, heartache. Instead, we are equipped to live lives of And we be warned by this text. Do not trust in your own heart. Your heart's wicked. Trust in God. And by doing so, He will lead you in His way and He will give you peace. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, what what a text this morning. As we look at this, Lord, it, it ought to be a mirror. For we do sin against You. We do seek our own way. We are selfish. We are deceitful. Far too many times, O God, we seek our own desires above Yours when instead we should humble ourselves, submit ourselves, and say, Thy will be done. Lord, would You continue to work in our lives that that may be true. May we cling to You, hope in You, rest in You, trust in You and You alone for Your glory and for our good. Father, we thank you for your word and the opportunity to come before it this day. We ask that you use it, that you grow it in our hearts and lives, that we may be transformed by it. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.